I invite you to take a Bible and to open it to Nehemiah chapter 12. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you in the pew, it's page 379, Nehemiah chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in verse 22. And before we start reading it, I think a helpful way to frame it is this is a passage that I myself and you'll discover it as we're reading it would much rather watch unfold than read unfold because it's describing a celebration that takes place in the city from one end of town to another end of town that eventually comes together to all meet up in the temple that probably in our modern day equivalent would be like the opening or the closing ceremony of the Olympics. There's quite a level of coordination going on between singing and instruments and dancing and it is enveloping the entirety of the city that even as you're reading it you're like where where what like we'd all just would probably prefer to watch this on video it'd be really really cool if we could but we can't so I have to read it and you have to try to imagine it we're going to begin in verse 22 of Nehemiah 12 in the days of Eliashib and Joadiah and Johanan and Jadua, the Levites were recorded as heads of fathers' houses, and so too were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. As for the sons of Levi, their heads of fathers' houses were written in the book of the Chronicles until the days of Johananan, the son of Eliashib. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah and Sherebiah and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite them, to praise and give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. Madaniah, Bakbubiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talman, and Akib were gatekeepers, standing guards at the storehouses of the gates. And these were in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, son of Josadak, in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and the scribe. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nedophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Azimuthah. And the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. And then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah, then half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah and Ezra and Meshulam and Judah and Benjamin, and Shemaiah and Jeremiah and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Madaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Malai, Gilalai, Mai, Nathanael, Judah, and Hanani with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David. At the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half the people on the wall. 
above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and the gate of Yeshana and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God and I and half of the officials with me and the priest Eliakim, Messiah, Menaimon, Micaiah, Elonai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Masai, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehonanan, Melchijah, Elam, and Azer. And the singer sang with Jerahiah as their leader, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave their daily portion for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites and the Levites set apart that which is for the sons of Aaron. And that'll conclude our reading for today. It is, if you will, if you've just watched a great movie and then the scroll of all the credits comes through of everyone who's involved. You know, you're usually like, thanks, I just wanted to see the movie. I don't need the list of everyone who was involved in the production. And so we, in starting at 22, already skipped over some of the people involved. Um, But much of what we read gives testimony to how much coordination and effort and varieties of gifts and service were brought together in this joyful celebration of the dedication of this wall. And it was so much joy. I titled the message Resounding Joy because it said it was so great that it was heard from far away. If you were just in the region, you could tell there's a party going on in Jerusalem. These choirs are loud. The instruments are blaring. This is a wonderful thing. So even as we read it, one of our first takeaways is to recognize the goodness that's expressed here, that we are in fact made for joy. We are made by God for joy. On our best days and in our best moments, these are the kind of things we do. And when a nation gets to host all of the nations in the Olympics and thinks through all the pageantry involved in a ceremony to celebrate its own history and its cultural contribution to the world, none of that is wasted. That that is what we were made for. That is when we are thinking our best thoughts to put things to music, to song, to celebrate and dance and to get everyone together in this type of wonderful expression. Yesterday I had uh, the three boys, we were grocery shopping together and we're in the checkout line and all of a sudden my youngest David starts singing the happy birthday song and he's singing it as loud as he can. Happy birthday to me, happy birthday to me. So there's people in front of us, there's people behind us, the aisles are you know pretty tight, there's people around us and so oh, isn't that, is it his birthday? And I said, yeah, two months ago. (laughs) And he's not lived it down since. Like he keeps singing to himself this song. And so everyone starts laughing and said, yeah, he's, 
you could see how it affected him when he was finally old enough to get, this is a day about me, and people are singing to me, and I'm not exaggerating. Two months later, he has not forgotten it. Uh, but when he was doing that, even though almost everyone around us didn't know us, everyone could hear and listen in and say, that's, that's awesome. Like, I wish that's how I felt most days, just kind of walk around and sing joyfully to myself about life. And we know that we're made for this joy when we don't experience it in frustration and broken promises and sin. So much of the pain that we experience is because deep down in our hearts, we know that we were made for something more. And if you didn't grow up going to church and wouldn't necessarily consider yourself a Christian, sometimes the stereotype can be that if you become more open to God in your life, that he's just going to kind of kill your joy. He's going to give you a whole bunch of rules and that'll tell you all the things that you really like to do and have fun doing you're not allowed to do and you have to do all the things that you don't really want to do. But you should take him seriously because he's God and he's allowed to do that. It's kind of sometimes how it can be presented. Or even me growing up in a Christian home and many would have this testimony, even though no one said that, that's just kind of how you picked up on things or how you misinterpreted some of the things around you. Whereas when you read the Bible and take it seriously, the critique of God upon humanity is not that we have joy and he doesn't want us to have it. It's that we find joy in all the wrong places and in all the things that don't last very long. And the invitation of scripture is not to joylessness, not to misery or depression. It's an invitation to wholeness, to lasting joy, eternal joy. It's saying, why are you so happy with like 10 cent chicken nuggets when you could be having something so much better? Don't settle for something so immediate and cheap and unsatisfying when you could have more. There is eternal life out there. There is eternal joy out there. There is happiness. It involves holiness. It includes rules and laws and ordinances, but not in a way that if we heed them all, bring us down, but actually show us why we're here, how we're designed. And if we honor them and follow them, find ourselves thankful and praising God for the way that he made us and experiencing deeper joys than we ourselves could have imagined without God. Now this, what we have jumped into reading about is a whole nation that's coming back after a city had been destroyed their temple had been destroyed. And now what they're celebrating so magnificently is the rebuilding of the temple, the restoration of the walls, a renewed sense of safety and security, and the opportunity that they have to express their joy. Because this is what we believe, the God who made us and loves us and designed us with all this capacity for desire and joy has given us reasons to have this joy wants us to have it eternally. We were made for this. But also the, the emphasis of the book of Nehemiah is joyful living. That's our next takeaway. So we get these list of names that connect uh, what's being described in chapter 12 to the beginning of Ezra, because originally uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are a single book, and it records a few generations worth of activity in rebuilding first the temple by Zerubbabel, then the coming of Ezra, and then the coming of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah comes 
because though people had gone ahead of him and had started doing some of this work to rebuild the worship uh, of the people, he knew that the city was still vulnerable. And so even if some people had gone back to worship in Jerusalem, at the beginning of this book, no one wanted to live in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah's heart was broken over that. So I don't want you to worship in a place that you wouldn't want to live. Because the God who made you, made you to experience the fullness of joy in every area of your life. And not that in a gathered worship service and pageantry of a ceremony, you would just kind of forget about life for a moment and have a lot of fun, but then go back to something that is more difficult and miserable, but that there would be a continuity between the joy that you experience in worship and the joy you experience in your everyday life. And so Nehemiah comes back to rebuild the city, to rebuild the walls, to help administer justice when the whole court system had been decimated, to pay attention to what everyone needed every day of their lives. And everyday life is not constant ceremony and celebration. <laughs> everyday life is not constant party. But the party and the celebration is supposed to spill over into what we all desire in ordinary pleasures in life. And so Nehemiah's main task as the governor is to restore joyful living. What has to be true in Jerusalem for people to want to live here? That this is where they would want to be. This is where they would want to raise their kids. It's where they would hope their grandkids might stay one day. So now when you combine these two things, you realize we're now talking about the two things we're not supposed to talk about, religion and politics. And as many people say, avoid talking about religion and politics. Scripture says you can't, so do it and learn how to do it well. But what you think about God affects everything else you think. And what you believe makes for a good life affects how you treat other people. And those matter. <laughs> they, they matter significantly. You think about it for your own sake and for your own families. And it's just a matter of extending that to your neighbors and to people you don't know to say, what would need to be true about the street I live on for people to say, I'd love to live on this street or the neighborhood or the school system that I'm a part of or the city that we're in? What would make this a joyful place to be for all of its citizens. Not in a, any sense of arrogance that we could create heaven on earth and we could make a place that's perfect. But as people made for joy by God to know him and to love one another, what are the things that need to take place and need to be implemented what are the conditions on the ground that need to be present for joy to be extended? Nehemiah knew what part of that was. Part of that was security. Part of that was making sure the walls were rebuilt. And then when people came to him and said, hey, we're spending too much time on the wall. We're neglecting our fields. We're not sure we're going to have enough food to eat. And some of us are being sold into slavery. Nehemiah didn't say, oh, don't worry about that. Look at what we're doing at the temple. He dealt with it. He, he said, really? What's going on? How are people being taken advantage of? 
because of what we're doing? And he paid attention to all of that. And what Brad went over last week, I mean, you get a sense of how unattractive Jerusalem was at the time in that they cast lots for people to move back in. Many people had settled in towns outside of it because it was so unsafe you didn't want to live in it. And so most of the people that got selected didn't feel like the lucky ones. Oh, it's not, I, I got upgraded to the Ritz-Carlton today. It was, I have to move in there? I mean, they barely just got done with that wall. I don't know how well that wall will stand up when the next army comes to invade. But what Nehemiah, as the governor, is trying to bring about to complement the work of Ezra and Zerubbabel and the priests and the Levites is to make Jerusalem a place and in its surrounding regions that is a joyful place to live. And that is something for all of us to feel the freedom to regularly discuss together with one another. It is possible to talk about God, religion, and politics in a healthy way, in a mature way. And we have to talk about it if we care about God and we care about the people that God has created. Nehemiah cares about it. Sometimes if we think the only option is agreement or disagreement and there's nothing in between, then conversation breaks down pretty quickly. And everything is simply whether you agree with me politically or disagree or agree with me about God or disagree. Instead of listening to each other enough to find out more and better understand where someone might be coming from. And in so doing, to be forced to express ourselves enough to also come to our own convictions and conclusions. In a much smaller way, uh, yesterday, uh, Amy read through uh, something that I'd written, and I made a grammatical error in what I'd written. And she was pointing this out to me. But the way she was pointing it out to me was like, you know, I can't believe you did this. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what did I do? I mean, what, how serious is this? She's like, you can't use this kind of punctuation in a formal letter. It was a letter I sent to the whole church uh, this past week. And I was like, no, that's not that big of a deal. And so we start, and you know how quickly a conversation goes to, I'm just not talking, because you're not, you're not even gonna listen. And that kind of happened. I said, wait a minute, no, 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 I, I think we can talk about this. I'm just, if I'm being accused of a first degree felony, I'm pleading not guilty. If I can negotiate down to like a fifth degree misdemeanor sentence to time already served, I could probably agree that I did something wrong. Can I, but I'm not disagreeing. I'm actually listening. You probably never have conversations like this about grammar, but this sometimes happens in our household. But it was, it takes two seconds to get to the I'm done talking. Even on small things, let alone significant things about how people are treated. And to say, wait, wait, we can have back and forth, and I do really want to listen. Help me listen, help me know you better. And if I don't have a conversation partner to express my own ideas with, I won't even know deep down what are my own priorities and what really matters to me. And when I list out 10 different things, what are the two most important of the 10? I need someone else to help me process all that. I need a safe place to talk about it. What is the good life? How has God made us to live? How are we supposed to experience life in this world? How are we supposed to make sure that our vulnerable citizens feel safe? How are we supposed to make sure that the place that we worship is also the place that we would want to live? Those are all relevant questions that we should be able to have with one another. 
and they're starting to experience it. They're, they're growing in this capacity, and so they have this grand celebration. But then at the end, the beginning of verse 44, we see that this joyful expression of praise and worship also then becomes a joyful expression of giving on their part. So verse 44, on that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the town. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. So now as they're back and as they're established and they're celebrating, this celebration is also then expressed on their part by joyful, sacrificial giving. All of those are different ways in which people have given. To the rebuilding of the temple, to the rebuilding of Jerusalem, so that the singers can be well paid and the artists can be compensated for their work, so that the celebrations can keep on going. And here again, we see this is not a, a, now a separate category. If we were made for joy and we are to live in joy, and one of the things that God knows because this is what God is like is that we get the most joy when we are able to give to people freely. That when he invites us to give to the temple, to Jerusalem, to the work that needs to be done to make a place worth living, it's again not a, oh no, I have to do this. It's, yeah, when Paul quoted Jesus saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive, he is inviting us even deeper into the joy that he desires us to experience. When he uses us to be a blessing to other people, when we get to be part of the plan that he's working out to make a vulnerable person safe, to make an excluded person feel included, to make a depressed person joyful, to make a purposeless, wandering, lost prodigal feel safe and at home. In whatever ways we get to do that, if you look back on your own life and can think of moments where someone treated you that way and where you maybe have had an opportunity to do that, those are the most joyful moments. <laughs> those are the amazing times where it's not superficial happiness Someone might not even see you smiling while you're doing it. But there is a deep sense of joy and satisfaction in the work that God has given you. To close, we'll go to Ephesians chapter 4, just to get a very short picture of this in the New Testament, of this desire of our Heavenly Father to work in our lives in this way. Ephesians 4, verse 28, to conclude. Paul is describing the new life we have in Christ and the transformation that God desires to bring about us. In verse 28, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's, it's an amazing transformation from beginning to end. The person who used to take what did not belong to them to now become a person who would work for everything they had and also in the working and the striving become someone who is excited to give to those who are in need. So from taking what didn't belong to us 
to giving away what rightly does is a wonderful transformation. The people of Israel had gotten kicked out and punished because they had been so mistreating each other, committing so many injustices against each other that when Babylon came and sacked the city, it was the punishment of God upon them. That is the collective testimony of the prophets. You guys are living in this way where you're stealing from one another, you're mistreating one another. You're not experiencing the joy I created for you. You're not making this a place anyone wants to live. And now they're back. And they have this opportunity to work, but also to give. to allow this joyful transformation that God wants to work in them to take place. And where's this modeled, where's this sacrificial, joyful giving modeled the most in scripture? It is in God himself and the sending of his son. He didn't have to come. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to give himself as a ransom for humanity. And Hebrews tells us he did because of the joy that was set before him in the redemption of all who were lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how piercing and powerful that it is when we give ourselves to understand it. We need your spirit to have ears to hear and eyes to see. We can tune out and get distracted and stop listening quickly, but we pray that you would continue to open our hearts to hear you, to know your purposes for us, to know how and why you've made us, to be invited by you into a loving community that can talk openly with one another about what it means to love our neighbors well and to do all of it in the light of the love of your son for us, the sacrifice that he has given. And so as we sing this song now about his joyful, sacrificial giving for us, we pray that you would use it to stir our imaginations and our hearts as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.